welcome to this Meetings Today podcast. I'm Tyler Davidson, Vice President and Chief Content Director of Meetings Today. And uh, joining us today is a real interesting guy who's been around the meetings and events uh, world for a long time, uh, Kevin Iwamoto, yes. Chief Customer Officer and Head of Enterprise for Bisley um, Incorporated. Uh, thanks for joining us, Kevin. Thank you, Tyler. Great to be here with you. And uh, we also, I guess, one of our 20 meetings trendsetters for uh, 2022 um, for his work, uh, especially with uh, in the advocacy space for Asian uh, American and Pacific Islanders. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for all your work there, Kevin. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that's been uh, a passion of mine to try to make sure that, um, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion is uh, more broadly accepted and practiced, you know, in our industry, especially, you know, because we do have a wide swath of different ethnicities and cultural groups that work within the hospitality industry. And uh, it just seems to me, you know, that um, the the the, the leading managerial or executive roles are not evenly or well distributed in terms of uh, uh, diversity and equity, so. Yeah, and you've been around the industry for uh, enough time to really yeah. have a great perspective on that also. And I know um, you wrote, uh, thank you for this too, uh, actually a great op-ed for us. And in it, you mentioned that you've experienced tokenism, uh, being regarded as the other, being stereotyped as the quote unquote Asian male, microaggressions and other forms of uh, discrimination. Maybe expand on that a bit. Um, and, you know, has that changed at all in the, uh, well, probably 20, more than 20 years you've been involved in the industry? I, I believe it has. Um, and the reason why I say that is um, when I started or embarked on my career, it was pretty much uh, heads down, um, don't let anything distract you. Um, you know, we got to work harder, you got to be smarter, you got to do things better in order to be perceived as equal and in order to advance in, in your career. And so, uh, you know, I'm pretty positive there were uh, signs of all of those things, um, you know, microaggression, tokenism, all of those things as I was coming up the ranks. But I was so focused on, you know, becoming successful or, you know, making a difference that I, I did not see them or, you know, I'm, I'm sure they existed, but I, I just was not aware of them. You know, it was only later on in my career, um, uh, you know, when when I could, you know, look around a room, you know, in terms of participation and see that, uh, you know, this is a classic tokenism situation where I am the only Asian American in the room uh, and everybody else was, you know, middle aged white guys, a uh, few females here and there, uh, not a lot, but um, there wasn't a lot of diversity there. And then I started to question, why is that? And so it was only later on in my career where I became a lot more aware of, of these things and I started to notice them a lot more. So, um, you know, to answer your question, it was like, I'm, I'm sure it existed throughout my career, but in the beginning, um, I was so focused that I just didn't recognize them. And, um, and I know that you've been involved in, in this sort of uh, space advocating for this. And we've actually touched base on this with uh, our mutual friend, John Chen, actually, yes. too. Um, and so where are we at now? I mean, I, 
I look around and I really do notice a lot of uh, sort of the usual suspect uh, mm -hmm. middle-aged white uh, guys really on in sort of more decision-making and executive positions. Is that something you're seeing too? I mean, that's a very positive step, I think. Yeah, I, 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 I'm seeing progress, which is good, right? Um, you know, change doesn't happen overnight and people get impatient and you know that and the reality is nothing really happens really quickly you know in life so we have to kind of take the wins as you get them right but i think it's our responsibility when you kind of uh, rise up the ranks and you know become like an, uh, an an influencer in the industry or become an executive leader that's widely quoted or widely recognized i think it's your responsibility to kind of set up uh, opportunities for the next generation or bring some attention to them or if you see you know talent in in others um, you you make the time and make the effort to mentor them into a leadership role or help them advance up the ranks and I feel that you know I'm at a place in my life and career where I need to be doing that and I should be doing that you know to to help other um, Asian American and Pacific Islanders kind of move up the ranks if you will and it's not that they don't exist you know they they do exist but um they they for whatever reason they just seem to be um stuck in like a mid-management role or or just under an executive role like a vice president role or a director mm -hmm. role you know and they just there needs to be a lot more in the executive side and <clears throat> i think also you know when you look at the category it's like you know, when you say Asian Pacific Islander, um, <clears throat> it is a wide cultural swath yeah. that you're talking about, right? It's not, it's, it's not. Um, um, it's probably you know, more than half the world. Well, you know. yeah, it, it, it actually is, you know, because when yeah. you break it down, you know, you have uh, Chinese, you have Koreans, you have Japanese, you have Thai people, you have Filipinos, you have uh, Southeast uh, Asian Indians, um, right. you know, Cambodians, you know, it's, it's a big group and they don't have a singular culture, you know, it's all yeah. multicultural, multi-language. Um, and, and so I think that the, the problem has been uh, the, the pressure to assimilate in America has overridden um, the, you know, the, the need uh, for uniqueness or, you know, a confidence to kind of move forward uh, in an in a executive role because a lot, and a lot of it is generational too, right? Because if you're first generation, then you're talking about English as a second language. Um, and so it's kind of like uh, intimidation because you're not as proficient in English as you should be. Uh, and you might be mocked for it by having an accent or not using English correctly. Uh, when you start to get into second, third, fourth generation, or in my case, I have five generations in my family. Um, you know, where you're basically born and raised in America. Um, so you speak English, you're culturally more American than anything else, uh, far further from your Asian heritage roots than a first generation person would be. You, you also see that, you know, there's a difference in the way you're assimilated in America versus, you know, first generation people. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Black Lives Matter where, you know, a lot of African Americans came from different countries in Africa, but over the century, you know, several centuries, they've assimilated in America. They all speak English and their ties to their countries, original countries of origin have kind of faded away. Uh, we're not, we're kind of 
in the process of getting there. But mm -hmm. I think the Asian American uh, Pacific Islander community is lacking there. So that there, when you don't have a unity in voice, you have a lot harder time um, getting your point across and making inroads into like, you know, more executive roles and positions of influence like that. And that's, you know, one end, uh, I guess, of the spectrum. Um, and then it's just in general, the, the pipeline of people coming into this industry, whether they're API or not, um, seems to be a concern. Um, you know, what are you seeing there? Are young people really understanding what this industry is about and the uh, potential it may have for them as a career choice? I, I, I you, that, that is a really great observation and point, Tyler, because the truth of the matter is um, they, they do not. Um, you know, they get pressure from their families to pick a career that is uh, not only high profile, but, you know, societally uh, well-respected and regarded. I'm talking mm -hmm. like doctors, lawyers, you know, things of those, those roles. Coming into the hospitality industry is perceived as like, uh, you know, more of a low-paying, um, uh, yes, it's glamorous because of the travel element and the destination element of it. However, you know, from a career perspective, is that really a career? You know, is that like a a career, you know, to, to really stay within as you get older, right? It's like, it may be a great jumping off point, but it's not viewed as a long-term career, put it that way. So mm -hmm. we do need to do a better job of recruiting them and showing them that this can be a career. And a lot of students uh, that I talk to, you know, this is going to sound shocking. They never even considered or thought that, you know, a career in hospitality is really a career that that they can be in in the long term. So we got yeah. quite a bit of work we need to do, you know. Even just to define what it is, it's such a wide ranging uh, profession. Yeah, I mean, and at all levels of pay grade and responsibility. Yes, also. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, <clears throat> you know, I I I do think that there does need to be a level, and I do know that that those efforts are happening, at least I know at my alma mater, which is the Uni University of Hawaii, they have a specialized uh, sub-school within the, the business college, Scheidler Business College program. Um, it's called the Travel Industry Management uh, School. Um, and that's the school that I have created a perpetual scholarship endowment yeah. fund for. Uh, but they actively um, court and educate and train, um, you know, students who are interested in going into the hospitality industry. Um, and kind of getting them prepared for careers uh, in the industry. So, you know, I think Cornell has a similar program, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, other colleges just don't have those kind of programs. And so, you know, you can see, you know, just by virtue of scale that the educational awareness of careers in, you know, in, in our profession and industry um, is, is minuscule compared to like, uh, other colleges who, you know, have a plethora of different programs for people to consider in terms of career development um, yeah. that, you know, they're just not even exposed to that, you know, at a lot of other colleges. And um, so let's get back to uh, your, um, your history in the meetings and events industry. Um, one thing that really popped out to me was you were the president and CEO of MBTA, which is now GB. TA, uh, Global Business Travel Association, yeah. which is one of the leading industry associations. But you were there from 2001 to 2003, right in 
you know, the, the aftermath of 9-11. And that's <laughs> right when I was starting here, actually. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, tell us, you know, what was that like? And as someone who's been through <laughs> a, a number of like catastrophic uh, events that have affected this industry, what uh, sort of, you know, uh, learning do you bring for others um, about, you know, going through COVID or whatever else is sure, assuredly going to come up? Oh boy, um, <laughs> that's a that's a big question. It it it, it I, I look back at that as really um, the birth of um, my awareness that I could be um, in a leadership role, in a very influential leadership role that really impacts the lives and careers of literally thousands of people. <clears throat> and while you while that recognition kind of sinks in, it's kind of intimidating. But if you've got, I'm a very driven and focused person. So I think in some degrees I was, while I bemoaned the fact that, you know, literally a month and a half after I became the new president CEO of MBTA, 9-11 happened. And I, I, I got that thrown at me. So I, I had a very abnormal presidency because a lot of it, at least the first year and a half, and it's a two year term, uh, was really, uh, I, I was basically in crisis management mode. But what it taught yeah. me was that I, I had the ability and skill sets to manage and oversee a crisis like that. I mean, uh, trying to get the industry restarted, that, that's a huge responsibility when it literally stopped overnight, right? Uh, trying to, uh, that was the beginning of like when, when MBTA started a PAC fund because we realized we needed to have more influence on Capitol Hill. And so, um, you know, learning uh, how to lobby um, and position things with legislators on Capitol Hill was a real experience in itself. And I had to provide like written testimony and things like that. You know, when the TSA concept was first started under Admiral Loy, um, actually it was like uh, uh, Norm Mineta, who was Senator at that time, but he was secretary. Um, mm -hmm. And James Loy was appointed the, you know, the, the first head of TSA, you know, being consulted as to what that should look and feel like um, in terms of travel, you know, uh, requirements and stuff. Th those are all like really, when I look back at that, I'm thinking, wow, um, who gets those kind of experiences in life, yeah. right? But you don't think about that in the middle of it because you have a job to do and you have, you know, on top of that, you're also working your full-time corporate job, yeah. right? So it was really a very busy, stressful time. Um, but what I learned about myself was invaluable, which is I can do this um, and I can show people and I can be, um, you know, because I found over the years that representation matters, right? So if, if you know, if, if I do what I need to do um, and people follow, you know, people follow, you know, leaders who are confident in what they're doing. And I need to exemplify that whether I'm feeling confident or not. And so it was a big responsibility, but it taught me a lot about myself and my ability, you know, to, to kind of work through a major crisis and, and be there for everybody who needed that. But, you know, what I, what I, what I do reflect on though is, you know, the history of NBTA to GBTA. Yeah. Um, when you look at the, the different presidents and leaders, you know, each brought a certain thing, uh, accomplishment to the fold during their, ter during their term as president and CEO. And I, 
definitely, you know, like it or not, will always be the 9-11 president, right? The, the guy who was there to lead the industry out of a crisis. And, 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 and I'm proud of that. You know, I uh, initially bemoaned that fact, but I've learned to become proud of that. And because we did, we, we were successful in leading the industry out of a really catastrophic time when nobody was traveling, nobody yeah. was meeting, nobody was spending money. Um, and we had to get the industry back flying again. We had to get the industry back meeting again. And, and that was a big responsibility. And, and you need a great board, you need a great team, and you need the support of industry leaders to do that. And you know, luckily, we were, we were, all those things came together so that the industry could come out of that. And, and it also taught me about the resilience of this industry. So whether it's a COVID pandemic or whether it's 9-11 or you know, whether it's an economic meltdown or whether the various wars that have been going on in different parts of the world, you know, this is a very resilient industry. So it will survive and it will come back. Um, the only thing that's the unknown is the timing, how long this is going to last. Like, COVID, for example, like I knew this was not going to be a six month thing, but yeah. you would only know that if you managed to various crises, you know, like I had numerous conversations with our CEO at Bisley about this is going to be a long term thing. We need to batten down the hatches and be prepared for that. And he wasn't quite sure. He became sure when it started to go six, eight, nine months. And then he said, yeah, yeah you were right. We do need to think of long-term because this is not gonna be over uh, very quickly. And, and you know, it, you get the benefit of having that knowledge and, and confidence in saying that by going through these various crises like I've been able to go through and manage to survive through. Wow, yeah. Um, that's a really great experience you have uh, going through that. And I guess I was one of these people who thought it would just be a few months. And then what do you know? It's like I'm covering the this is like the thing I'm covering for the next year and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and, and we're still going through it. Right. We're, we're yeah. still not quite out of the woods yet. You know, I think. But, you know, what? the only thing I would when I look back at at that role, that specific role, which I was very honored to to and privileged to, to be in is the fact that um, I was the first um, and until recently, the only non-white president of that association. So to some degrees, it was, it was kind of great to break that, that glass yeah. barrier. But the sad part is um, you can break a barrier, but if, if you don't see any ensuing diversity follow, then right. you know it, it's it's very disappointing, right? And so, um, you know, it's it's not a distinction that I'm I'm particularly proud of. Like I really now I'm trying to make up for lost time, trying to see is there other, uh, you know, diversification things that can happen. I think you know, like PCMA is hopeful because you have somebody like Sheriff Karamat, you know, who's, who's the leader of PCMA, who's made a real cognizant effort to diversify, you know, their, yeah. their leadership team and stuff. So, you know, diversity is more than just a slogan or a trend. Uh, it, it's a commitment. And so yeah. I think what we need to start doing is holding our leaders, uh, you know, at every strata of our industry responsible um, to, to kind of hold up their end in terms of their commitment to DEI, um, you know, advancement. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I was just at ASAE, and they they've also made some wonderful strides. Yeah, recently, uh, right yeah. from the top too, Michelle Mason. Yeah, and I think you know, obviously, I'm very involved with MPI. I'm very proud of what MPI has been really trying to do in terms of diversification and awareness and things like that. You know, it, it it's it's baby steps, but we all need to take them. Uh, and and soon those baby steps become you know major initiatives, and those major initiatives then become ingrained in the fabric of our industry, and and that's kind of where our goal should be is it should be a non thing in the future, yeah. you know, like in the beginning there's a lot of education and awareness that needs to take place, and we all need to be patient as the industry and people start to move into that. But I'm really hopeful, Tyler, because we have a young generation that's coming into our industry they have different um priorities and different standards that they want to see more um you know widespread uh and becoming the norm in our industry and certainly we've seen the impact of that in all the pressures for sustainability but then you have you know a younger group and a more diversified group of of and you know um up-and-comers in our industry that i'm really proud of a few that i've taken on to mentor who are really making strides in terms of becoming our future leaders and they are demanding more diversity and inclusion you know yeah. in 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 you know the the whole process of our, our industry, the whole fabric of our industry. And so uh, I'm very hopeful that they're going to drive these, these causes um, more into the mainstream and this will be less of an issue. But for me, the, the, the proud moment at MPI this year was, you know, it was their 50th anniversary and they celebrated by creating three top 50 lists, you know, up and comers, uh, those who paved the way, you know, industry legends and, top most current influential members. And I was very proud to be part of the top 50 most influential group. But what was really, um, I think a high point for me at least was the final general session at MPI was a fully diversified panel of, of mm -hmm. up and comers, of uh, current president, uh, you know, previous president, um, Zoe Moore, who's African-American, and myself, who's Asian Pacific Islander. And what I challenged the audience um, during that panel was that you should be creating panels like this Yay. for all of your events. This is how your panels should look. It should mm -hmm. not be a homogenous group of a singular, you know, um, uh, you know group uh, just talking heads, you know, it should be engaging, it should be informative, it should be controversial, but it should be diversified. And in, in order for us to truly have that dialogue, you need to have a diversified uh, audience. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, your day job here. With um, <laughs> how uh, you pay the bills. Kisley, uh, yeah. um, we re recently just published, you have some uh, news that came out um, uh, you know, partnering up with Intent Strategy Group to launch Simplified Plus, which is a plug-and-play solution um, for small meetings. Um, yeah. I, I'm, and maybe explain what that is a little bit more. Yeah, so, you know, small meetings, uh, you know, biz, well, first of all, Bizly is a technology that um, automates uh, the, the, the processes for, you know, small meetings management at every company, every company has small meetings uh, taking place every day. So we, we are not focused on the larger 
conventions or you know um, congresses or or incentive type activities you know we we are focused on the daily meetings like like what you and I are doing right now you know mm -hmm. like a few people 10 people five people four people um, these things happen every day uh, a lot of them happen virtually uh, but some are hybrid you know with a, a mixture of people on site uh, or in private dining rooms or uh, online using uh, pickup technology Hubble or zoom or teams or whatever. Um, and so we kind of make that whole process more automated and more consistent in execution. And so we partnered with um, MNIW's um, uh, consulting group uh, to create a plug and play uh, uh, program, you know, that, that, that has everything all mapped out. And all you have to do is say, yeah, I do want to implement this and augment my existing meetings program whether it's a strategic meetings management program or whether it's my larger events that I do through Cvent um, and things like that. So, you know, a lot of times to kind of add, th this is what I call the unregulated, under considered section of our industry, right? Mm -hmm. Because it happens in a totally decentralized environment and nobody at the senior level thinks it's a big cost expenditure because it's generally not. But what they don't see is when you start to add up the number of these meetings that happen on a daily basis, the number starts to become exponentially larger. And so they have no oversight to that currently if they're not using a technology or they don't have a process that's, you know, um, conjuncted to, you know, an SMMP or their meetings and events program. So this is, you know, the, the, the piece, the missing, the last missing piece that people are challenged because they don't know how to start it. They don't know how to add it to their current programs. They don't know where to begin. So what <clears throat> MNIW's ISG group did was uh, in conjunction with us is let's do it for them, right? What do we need to do to kind of set this up? So it's, it's, it's a plug and play and all they need to do is just show up and say, I want this, you know, how much is it going to cost and what does it take to get this conjuncted to my existing meetings and events program. And so that was the overall big picture view of what we wanted to do. And it's been generating a lot of interest because there's a lot of people who wanted to do this for the long time. They just didn't have the time experience or, or expertise in, in doing it. And so by coming, you know, to this, uh, you know, Simplify Plus solution, they don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting. You know, they can just you know, we can just kind of take them through it and show them what they need to do uh, in order to get this conjuncted to their current programs. Really interesting. Where where can people find out more about this? Um, so they can go to um, uh, MNIW's website or ISG's website and uh, uh, the Simplified Plus um, uh, page, uh, overview page. Um, okay. Uh, and I think I gave that that link to you. So um, they can go to that site and they can get more information about Simplify Plus and, you know, how they can uh, get this, how, how they can, you know, get started uh, with, uh, you know, starting a small meetings program for their own company and getting that data and uh, adding that along to their data set with their regular meetings and events program. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining us today, Kevin. My pleasure. Always great to talk to you. You too, and uh, stay in touch. Um, and thank you uh, for joining us, uh, those of you out in listener land for this 
Meetings Today podcast with Kevin Iwamoto, uh, Chief Customer Officer and Head of Enterprise at Bisley. Um, I'm Tyler Davidson, Vice President and Chief Content Director for Meetings Today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you're interested in more of our podcast, just head on over to meetingstoday.com. Check out our podcast section where we have a number of podcasts with uh, really some interesting industry thought leaders there. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, no matter what you're up to with the rest of the day, uh, go out and make it a great one.